live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on social media. The accounts are all right there, except one right now, because we are the newest members of Hive. So if you're just signing up for that platform, because it is kind of exploding right now, as a, can we say, an alternative to Twitter? Yeah. So we are still staying on Twitter, just to kind of clarify. I know some people have been asking, but we just made a Hive account, so we're there, and everything can just be found at ODPH Podcast. It's on more or less all the socials except Facebook. But see, that's why we put the links right on the page, so you can just click on it. Also, you can click on the T Public Store, which, I mean, is always a perfect time to go get some stuff, especially for Black Friday. Just kind of put it out there. If you're always looking to get some ODPH swag, it's the perfect time to do it. Also, the Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month, and a whole lot of content coming. We gave you, the general public, our bonus episode this month for free. Just kind of a little taster of what we do, and it's breaking down Do a Powerbomb by Daniel Warren Johnson, the great image comic right now. So myself and Marty from the Panel of Vandal podcast was talking about it. It's a great episode. You want to go check it out? If you want more exclusive content like that, it's simple. You just sign up for the Patreon, and boom, there it is. Also, Parley Points blog section. The directory, which, Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 122,000. Sounds about right to me. The classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcasts, organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter, and a whole lot more. So we just keep it very short and very sweet for anything and everything that is the ODPH. It can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, there is one event that happened this past weekend mm-hmm. that... Do we say really kind of put into perspective what a journey it has been since day one Mm -hmm. for a show that rolled out of the pages of Image Comics and really took pop culture by storm? And when it got onto AMC television, I don't think anybody was expecting it to be this big of a hit and last 11 seasons. But yet... Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead has led that charge mm-hmm. and really carved its own niche into pop culture. Yeah. Like, you can't take it away. For a time being, it was the show on TV. Yeah, there were some weeks, especially in the kind of early mid-seasons, where it was going head-to-head and sometimes beating Sunday Night Football, which is the ratings juggernaut that is on Sunday nights during the NFL football season, mm-hmm. which is hard to do. Oh, it's absolutely hard T- to do. Typically, you know, outside of when The Walking Dead did it, about the only thing that beats Sunday Night Football or comes close to beating Sunday Night Football is if there's some sort of like award show or something on. Yeah. You know, that's about the only thing. Yeah, it usually would run unopposed for how 
the fans were just diving into it. Mm-hmm. Like I say, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about it in pop culture terms, but just kind of put it in perspective. For a moment of time, like, Walking Dead literally shut down social media. Yeah. Everybody was watching it. This is what turned Norman Reedus into a, a megastar mm-hmm. that everybody's waiting to see what he does Deny now. Guerrera. Deny Guerrero, Andrew Lincoln, you know, John Bernthal, who yeah. does, you know, would, I don't want to say he got a start there, but definitely got on the, he got the a radar. You got, yep, definitely got on the radar there. So all these stars that have walked through the land of Alexandria have really taken that and ran with it to now where this show is. It's truly astonishing to see because comic book shows usually don't cross over this well. No, I mean, and this was such a unique show for its time that, you know, you hear all the time from folks who work on shows. that Oh, did you ever think it lasts this long? And of course, they're all going to say no. Yeah. But I think this is a genuine when they say no, they didn't think it was going to last as long as it did just because, yeah, it's on AMC. So it's not on, you know, basic cable. It's not on, you know, CBS, Fox, NBC, ABC. You know, so but just how violent it was and just how graphic it was that I'm sure in the back of their mind, there was some stuff they were seeing when they were doing the practical effects that they're watching going, holy shit, this is going to get us kicked off the air. Well, I think AMC and cable in general is more willing to take a shot with a show like this. Yes. And I think for AMC and I'll give them their kudos for this. To really try going into a very dark and depressing story, such as The Walking Dead and the saga of Rick Grimes, it doesn't really hold back a lot of punches. No. The comic is much worse in its graphic nature than the TV show ever was. Yes. But for AMC to bring it to the mainstream audience and really not tone anything down the first couple of seasons... Mm Mm-hmm is a true testament that they fully believed in what they were presenting to the public. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that a lot of times, in my opinion, anyway. No. I think a lot of times that we're more worried about making money off stuff that we get away from the artistic perception. And for this show, if they tried watering it down any which way, I don't think it would have worked. Right. I think it was just the perfect time that a simple zombie apocalyptic story was presented to the masses and everybody was eating it up Mm -hmm. it gets to a point though as it's gone on in its seasons of how much it followed the books right and as we touched upon the books are very intense reads yeah they don't hold anything back no they're not for the squeamish or the uh sensitive if you will yeah because there's a lot of moments in the comic that really push some boundaries Let's say if you thought it was crazy what happened to Lori in the tv show you should read what happens to her in the comics facts yeah, that that scene is absolutely. You, 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 if you had issues with what happened to Glenn, yeah, read what happened to Lori. Well, you know, what? I love how you brought up about Glenn because I think that when we start talking about his death on the show, mm-hmm. and Stephen Yoon, who played him since the beginning, really won over fans. But yeah. we all knew if you've read the comics, like yeah. the comic fans that we are. We all knew that Glenn was on borrowed time. And you and I had conversations of just given how graphic it was in the comics about how the hell are they going to do this? Because they get away with a lot in the show, but we didn't think they'd be able to pull that moment off. And we finally get to the episode and it's a shot for shot with a couple of little changes, you know. But in terms of what happens to Glenn and some of the close ups of Glenn's face, it's a shot for shot recreation of the comic. Yeah. And it's one that they didn't pull back at all. Like, that's the one crazy thing about it is they kept it so graphic to the comic 
not to do it for sensationalism, but they kept it so graphic because they really wanted to try finding the the temp in the room, so to speak, with the audience. That they have had some gory deaths on the show, but seeing what Negan did to Glenn and it was panel to panel. Mm-hmm. It was legit. We we knew, so we weren't shocked. I think for the mainstream audience, though, when they saw it, mm-hmm. it was a very very cold dose of reality. I think our I think we were just a little shocked, and it wasn't from a holy shit, we can't believe what's happening. It was more holy shit, they did it shot for shot. Yeah, and, no, they, and they actually did it. Well, that's where you and I were. Yeah, but I think for a lot of the mainstream audience, when they got to season seven's premiere and did this, that that was the moment that I think a lot of fans. I don't want to say got tuned off. Uh, it is. But they got really... A lot of fans left. They got really shocked because one of their favorites, and like I say, it, Glenn was a very popular character. When he got killed off in the way he did, I don't think a lot of fans were ready for it because no. they had kind of played it a little safe mm-hmm. with certain characters that yeah. were that popular. Yeah. Daryl Dixon comes to mind. Daryl was supposed to be a couple episodes, one season character, and then just because of how popular he was, they kept him around. Yeah. He's not, folks, he's not in the comics. He's not in the, any of the video games, although there is that shitty one from Activision. Yeah, but we don't talk about that. We, we, won't talk, we don't talk about that. But in terms of the source material comics, he's not in them at all. There's not even a passing mention of a guy with a crossbow doing causing havoc in some other part of the country. You know, so he's a completely unique character to this world, to this show. The only thing that he's ever came close to the comics was, I want to say, was a cover. Okay. I I want to say it was an alternate cover for the last issue. Don't quote me on this, you know, for exacts, but obviously hit me up on that hashtag and let me know. I'm like 90% sure though. But you're right. So the show was really kind of listening to the pop culture audience, but when they started going back to the comics after uh the last few seasons there 5 and 6 were not I don't want to say well received, mm-hmm. but they started getting away from what made the the show the show. Yeah. You know, when you start getting away from the story that was getting told in the comics when they try, tried pulling the, you know, the massive U-turn and obviously introducing Jeffrey D. Morgan as Negan. Right. Fans weren't ready. And I think a lot of them dropped off. We've touched upon this many times. And I think that they weren't ready for what happened with Glenn. And thus, it was the dose of reality. Like, the books are going to start following suit. Sure, they've had other characters come and go since then. Right. But that was the kind of the tipping point that to get to where they are now four seasons later. And it's kind of crazy to think that it's only been four seasons right. since that. It goes to show about how much this, the fan base stayed with the show. And it's not as big as it once was, but everybody really was interested to see how these characters were surviving. I mean, we're, we're talking about fans leaving, but just to give you some some firm numbers, uh, the Walking Dead season one or season seven premiere uh, garnered, and this is in the U.S., 17.03 million viewers. Uh, episode 2, uh, which aired the following week, uh, garnered 12.46 million viewers. That's crazy. Which, that's normal for a show to drop off a little bit from premiere to episode 2, but for 5 million to drop, and then the following week after that, episode 3 was 11.72, you know, to drop, you know, 6 million viewers in th- in 2 weeks, 2, 3 weeks is a lot. It's a lot, but this also shows who reads the comics and who didn't. Yeah, yeah. And like we say, when everybody came on board on Halloween 2010 mm-hmm. to watch the first episode, I don't think they thought their favorite characters were going to get killed off. I mean, no. they, they were playing it safe uh, for a lot of those seasons. No, they were, and it was a lot of secondary characters, you know. They were a part of the main cast and a part of the main group, but it wasn't like, you know, 
uh, in terms of the tier list, they weren't the A tier or S tier characters. Yeah. There's only been a couple that they were following suit to the comic, but then when they got yeah. away from it, yeah. I think fans had that false sense of hope that yeah. everybody would be okay. But, yeah. the, but the Negan Glenn death was the one, the tipping point. Well, because outside of what, Game of Thrones, I don't think there's ever been a show that kills off its main characters like the and no matter what you say about their ranking, whether they're main or, or secondary characters, I don't think there's any show outside of Game of Thrones, you know, that killed off their characters like Walking Dead did in those early seasons. Yeah, the early seasons, no, they they definitely were setting precedent because everybody's tuning in to see who would get killed off, who would survive. But once that wore off on the public, that's where I think the show started changing a little bit in its popularity. But much like anything in pop culture, things go in waves. Mm-hmm. So when they were at their height, they were at their height. After they got tuned out when Glenn died, the fan base was still there, but not as popular. Well, and just keeping you know a fan base engaged and hooked on for that long. When let's face it, you know the show premiered in, in 2010. You know, keeping a fan base enti- enticed and, and hooked on for 12 years is a hell of a task. No, oh, it's an amazing task. You know the fa- you know so obviously the numbers aren't what they were at the height of the show. But I don't think they ever were going to be once it started getting as long as it did, just because times change, people move on, their interests change, what they're into changes. Mm-hmm. You know, so you might have been on, you, you, you know, someone listening might have been into the show seasons two, three, four, because, hey, you're in college, you're, you're in a dorm room with a group of folks who really like the show. And you know what? There's only one TV in the dorm room, so you're going to watch it together. Yeah. You know, but once you got out of college, you know, ah, you know what? I'm living on my own. I got I got work going on. I got personal life going on I, I just don't got time for it i just was never that into it shit happens no it definitely does i mean that's something that when you hear about any show making it past five years to be honest with you it's a milestone like it always kind of blows my mind when you think about in comparison like supernatural sure and how many seasons that lasted on the cw oh, yeah. and they've had moments where they could end it off where it was fitting and i mean obviously they're kind of rolling out the, the spinoff there with the winchesters but it's a testament to the fans that stick by this. They really carry it through. And then when you do those big finales, do, do they meet the expectations? Mm-hmm. Because that's one situation that I think The Walking Dead had a little bit of a challenge with. Yeah. Because the one thing that they have done, and if you're a longtime listener to the ODPH, you know we've called them out about this. When they tipped off about spinoffs, mm-hmm. I really think that hurt this season. Mm-hmm. I think it hurt it tremendously. Well, and just the the pattern, you know, because they would in prior early seasons, they wouldn't tip off anybody's going to leave. Right. You you know you wouldn't find out. You know the only tip off you would get that something's happening is in a commercial break. They'd talk about who's coming up on Talking Dead, which was the talk show they had after each episode with Chris Hardwick. You know, and either somebody from the the crew, somebody from the cast, and the, and either another cast or crew. And then if you know if they it wasn't that it was some sort of celebrity who was a fan of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, Yvette Nicole Brown was yep. on, on a whole bunch. You know, but the only tip off we would get that something's going to happen was they'd say, oh, coming up on, on Talking Dead after the episode, Chris Hardwick sits down with Greg Nicotero, Yvette Nicole Brown and a surprise guest. And it's like, well, fuck, somebody might die this episode. Mm-hmm. That was the only clue we got up until whatever season it was where Andrew Lincoln left the show, where the the season went to premiere in its usual October slot and in like August or, or September. They announced Andrew Lincoln's leaving the show. Wasn't it at San Diego Comic Con? It was. It, it was something. It was long before the the series the season premiered. Right. But they tipped it. They said, "Oh, at some point this season, 
Andrew Lincoln is going to be leaving the show. And I was, and we were sitting here going, is this a ratings blur? Are they just trying to drive the ratings back up? And then they outright said the week of the episode, this is the episode where Andrew Lincoln leaves. Yeah. And then they started doing it for other characters. And then, like you said, with the last couple of years, oh, we're doing spinoffs with Maggie and Negan. Well, shit, now we know Maggie and Negan are going to make it out of there. We're doing a spinoff with Daryl and Carol. Just kidding. Now we're doing just Daryl. Well, Daryl's going to survive. Yeah. Once you start throwing that in there, it took away some of the mystery of the show. And I really think that hurts it overall. It's not to say it has been a bad season, but I think for where you go into a final season, all bets are off. You know it's done after this. It didn't reach the expectations of what it could have been. Right. And I think they drug it out, too, with 24 episodes broken down into eight eight episode runs. It's essentially two seasons. Yeah. Because I think their seasons in the past have been like 12, 13, 14. 13 episodes. 13. So it's essentially two seasons worth. Exactly. That's why they said, oh, yeah, we're doing one final season in two, 24 episodes. And I'm like, okay, so it's really two seasons. So it's been a long, strange trip since Rick Grimes woke up in that hospital and the world changed after he was shot. And whoa, the story that has unfolded since. I still blame Walter White's meth. It could be. I'm waiting for that tie-in to happen. Fun fan theory. But nevertheless, here we are all these years later, and we've reached the end. So we are going to be talking about spoilers of episode 24 Number 177 in the series of The Walking Dead, entitled Rest in Peace. If you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, hey, thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. We give a spoiler-free statement about the episode, and then we give you a countdown, and that is fair warning. We go into spoilers. So if you're not ready for a deep discussion of it, we give you fair enough time to bounce out, watch the episode, and come back, and then we have those conversations with everybody. So that being said, Pad... What is your spoiler-free statement about the finale of The Walking Dead? Uh, in terms of a series finale, it was okay. You know, I wouldn't put it in the pantheon of the Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, you know, perfect endings to a series. You know, but then again, I don't think it ever was going to be perfect just because those were wrapped up in a bow so neatly that you knew it was the end. And and for The Walking Dead, obviously, it's not the end. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we've got the Fear the Walking Dead's coming back. You know, we've got the the Negan-Maggie story. We've got the Daryl story. We've got the Rick and Michonne miniseries coming. So, obviously, this isn't the end. But in terms of, like, the end of a season, a season finale, it was all right. You know, it, it wasn't one of their better ones. They've had better. But I, I still enjoyed it for what it was. You know, there was some stuff that was a little, a little confusing, and it felt like at times they were just kind of throwing stuff against the wall just for the sake of throwing it against the wall. You know, but at the end of the day... It was all right. On a scale of Dexter last season, not not the reboot, and Breaking Bad, this is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I think that's probably the most honest I can say about it. Was this great? No. It had its moments. It had moments. But once again, the fact it was tipped off about spinoffs. And we're not talking about the Fear of the Walking Dead, which is arguably taken over as the flagship show a few seasons ago now. We are talking about you knew certain characters were going to survive. So you can't tease them getting killed off or something bad happening to them if you know they're going to be in a show moving forward. And I think that that is just a situation for like Lauren Cohen's Maggie, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Dean Morgan's Negan, Daryl Dixon, or Norman Reeves' Daryl Dixon. You knew those characters were safe. So anytime you saw them on screen, it kind of took away from that. Right. 
And I think a lot of their time during this episode was to build for what's coming. And I don't think that that was fair to where you should have just tied off things with the universe you built. Mm -hmm. I think that if you were trying to use this for a stepping stone, I get why, but I don't agree with it. But it wasn't a terrible episode. Yeah. I think there was a couple of things they could have done a little better. Mm -hmm. But I think they want to leave it where it was just in case. Mm -hmm. And... I don't think there was like a real closure feeling. To it, this. it was definitely written in such a way that should they want to come back and, and restart the mainline series in however many years, you know, they can do that, mm-hmm. you know, because it wasn't necessarily written in the, you know, if we're talking video game ending, this isn't a bad ending yeah. where, where like everybody dies. There's no survivors left and the end shot is. You know, just walkers as far as the eye can see. Yeah. You know, this was kind of like the good ending where it's like, okay, we lost some people, but people are still alive and we're in this kind of happy place. It, it, I agree with you. It was definitely written in such a way where the ending left it like, okay, if we want to come back and revisit this, we have an avenue to do so and we don't have to write some bullshit to get us back in here. Exactly. So that said, it's countdown time. Three, two, one, pad. Really talk to me. Like I said, I thought the episode was okay. You know, there were, it had its moments. You know, the action sequences were good. There was stuff that was confusing. You know, the chase sequence, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, that. That was, that was confusing to us, you know, until we realized, oh, wait, here's what's going on. Yeah. You know, but, in, but like I said, in terms of, you know, a season finale, it was okay. In terms of a series finale, it was not as good. I agree. I agree. Like, there are moments where things were good. Yeah. But overall, this just it didn't have a special feel. Like mm-hmm. we, I know we've talked about this. I'm going to make a wrestling comparison to this. Sure. You know how when we have mentioned WWE's rival company, yeah, and they only run four pay per views a year, yeah, and they do mini shows in the middle, yeah. Well, when you get to a pay per view, you should make it feel special. Yeah, like something should stand out. Yep. Like something should be like okay. This really just felt like another episode. Like, mm-hmm. sure, there's a couple things that happened at the end, mm-hmm. but it didn't really have that gravity like, okay, it's over. Like, right. like the comparison I'll make with another TV show is like Supernatural's finale. Okay. Okay. I know you, you never really kind of got into I've the, seen I've seen episodes. To the latter years, but what they did is you had the, the definite closure moment. Yeah. Things made sense. You paid the nice tribute to the fans, and then you moved on. Sure. You know, like to sure. wherever everybody's going to go from here. You didn't have that here. Right. You just had this go on like a normal episode, and that mm-hmm. drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, shows like this, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, when that eventually ends, you know, Vikings, Last Kingdom, you know, any of these kind of like sci-fi fantasy, you know, fighting violence shows i like my season finales where shit hits the fan there's some sort of big conflict where everybody's involved you don't know what the hell's gonna happen and then you get the payoff or the resolution of that season's story you know this one we got that to a point but then it felt like the ending was like a sitcom yes. series finale, like a Boy Meets World or Friends or, you know, Frasier. Take your pick where it's like, oh, we're all just hunky dory palling around, you know, 
on th- having Thanksgiving, you know, which I'm okay, fine. Like I get for the final shot or the last little bit, but they spent so much time on it. Yeah. This had, I would, you know what? I was almost waiting to see if Robert Kirkman was going to wake up a la Bob Newhart. Oh, jeez. It was all a dream the entire time. Which I mean, I made that joke to somebody, but I was kidding. I, I was dead ass serious. I thought he was going to do it because what you got with this show is the survivors that originally started out in Atlanta mm-hmm. have now congregated up to Virginia. Yeah. And they've now lost some members along the way. They, well, they lost a few. Yeah, to put it mildly. But the Daryl Dixon-led squad has now come into the Commonwealth, which mm-hmm. is the only thing that looks like normal in in Virginia. Normal with air quotes. Yes. So they come in there, and things are almost a utopia. Things are what we know as normal. The only thing that they're missing is the Internet. Pretty but, much. But they're functioning as a, as a great society. Yeah. And they're having political structure. They're having hospitals. Like, there is stuff here that you just haven't seen in the past 10 seasons. I'll say it's as normal as normal can get in this world when there's no electricity. Right. But they're somehow making it work because oh, they, yeah. they do have some electricity. They like, have some. Yeah, it's, it's the weird thing that's going on. But as you're seeing that this has all been a ruse that has been putting on by Pamela, who has been running the Commonwealth. And uh, Lady Robbins did a great job as the leader of the Commonwealth, kind of not tipping off everything right away, but obviously mm-hmm. there was ulterior motives going on. And obviously with her connection, the political ranks, you knew something was going to be a little shady. And after her son was killed off and exposed for trying to branch out the Commonwealth and to mm-hmm. take over more lands and really enforce their will on mm-hmm. people, whether they liked it or not, there was a little bit of an uprising. And what she has done is more or less caused the Commonwealth to self-destruct. Yep. That she's now had this zombie herd come towards them. Yep. And the scattered members of the Daryl Dixon survivors are now coming back together, and everybody's in this unified front to take Pamela out once and for all. Where we saw last episode, Judith got shot in the melee that was going on when they tried taking over Pamela's estate. And Daryl Dixon was running in a frantic case to go save her at the hospital. We jump into this episode, and you see that the zombies are now overtaking the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. And you do see that some lesser-known characters of the survivors, which I'll be honest with you, at this stage, I tuned out from the emotional attachment to them because I haven't seen them on forever and a day. So Jules gets eaten alive. Yep. You see Luke, who is the music teacher. Yep. He gets taken out too because he's bitten and they can't save him. So, yeah. So shocking moments, but like I did, like it was like, oh shit, and then it kind of like went on. Yeah, I was like, okay, well here we go. Like, like the genuine reaction was like, all right, we're gonna start killing off some people. Great, because the one thing that this show has done, and I think inadvertently, but it's a fact, they blew up their cast. Yeah. Like it's an it oversaturated. Got real, it got real inflated. Yeah. So you have too many people out there to really like invest time in that I'm yeah. like concerned as a fan for rooting for a character. Like when they're getting eaten, I'm like, great, another one. Right. Well, and especially, you know, there's just, there's just too many people on the main cast to even give screen time to because I realize the show more often than not doesn't run an hour in, in real time. It usually runs over. But even still with, with a couple extra minutes of extra sh- run time. There's just not enough screen time for some of these folks. Yeah. That you could go two, three, four, four episodes before you see him again. Mm-hmm. So while this is going on, Daryl is taking Judith to get treated for her wounds. He's messed up too, and it has this weird growing black eye out of nowhere forming. Yes, yeah, this huge monster bruise that 
honestly, as the show was progressing, it kept growing larger. Like, I was wondering, like, did he get some kind of infection? Well, I I can't help but wonder if something happened behind the scenes, like, like during takes. Yeah. Where, like, something happened. He accidentally... Because he, I don't remember him getting hit in the eye. Him no. Going, him going, oh, my eye. So I can't help but wonder if something happened during filming in one of the takes they didn't use that gave him a legit black eye because it just kept growing. Yeah, like, that was a weird thing that was going on. So I'm like, okay, if this is a side plot and he's infected, I'm here for this. Why? Because it's different. And I want to see something special with this thing. So if they killed him off... Great, because that whole other show he's going to do, make it a prequel. I don't care. Like, I'm here for this. But during this time, too, he finds out that Michonne has taken off looking for Rick. So why this had to come back up, I I don't really know. But I'm okay with it. Because because at this point, I'm going, okay, they're tipping off that Rick is alive. They're reminding folks that, hey, we still have that Rick and Michonne spinoff TV series coming. Yeah, so is this all going to tie in with Daryl's show? Wait and see. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, I don't think so. No, like I say, I don't think so, but I wouldn't. Because the Daryl show's in Paris. This one, The Rick and Michonne one's somewhere in the U.S. But I don't doubt them doing stuff. Why pad? Reasons. Reasons. So that said, you have the other group of survivors that is running through Alexandria on their own little side mission. That's Eugene, Rosita, and Gabriel mm-hmm. because they're looking for Rosita's daughter. And she had been missing for a few episodes. They do wind up freeing her. And they do wind up making a valiant escape. But while they're climbing the side of a building, you have this moment that immediately got a reaction out of me and not for the right way. Mm-hmm. You saw Rosita fall. Yep. And obviously she had her child on her stomach. So she wasn't hurt in the fall, but you did see that Rosita hit her back down on yep. the ground. Yep. And then we're all thinking like, oh, God, she got, she's dead. Like there's no way she can survive because she's surrounded by zombies. Right. Then suddenly, she comes up swinging an axe or some kind of like weapon, some sort of sword, yeah. yeah, and is killing everybody around her. So, well, at first when we were watching, we didn't know she had the kid. Yeah, we we thought because you could see, uh, what's his name? I'm blanking. Eugene. The, you no, the priest. Oh, Gabriel. Gabriel. We saw Gabriel had a kid, and I even you even said, "Does she have the kid?" And I go, "No, I think Gabriel has it," because you could see the tiny legs. Of the, of the child on Gabriel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I don't think she has the kid. I think Gabriel has the kid. And then she fell. She threw off the zombies like it was a freaking WWE wrestler and the and the people were piling on top of him. And then she started swinging and you were like, no, no, fuck this. No, no. And then, I, and then they cut back to her and I'm like, oh, no, wait, she's got the baby. Yeah. And that's when you're like, okay, that at least makes some right, somewhat sense. Because, yeah, they're not going to kill her if she has her baby with her. So, but I, still, I got mad because of the fake out because I'm going... You did this with Glenn, and I know what you're going to do, and I'm going to get mad because there's no way she should have survived. None. I'm sorry. Well, like when you're getting sur- like drowned in a sea of zombies, you're not going to be able to pull yourself out and come out unscathed. Right. Like it's just not going to happen. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, which we'll get to it. But like I said, uh, Kristen Sertos, who plays uh, Rosita, I mean, she's always been great on the show. Josh McDermott, obviously, signing off his last time as Eugene and being the reluctant voice of reason during this this episode was kind of wild too and seth gilliam whose father gabriel has grown on me tremendously throughout this these seasons here uh it was kind of an interesting dynamic to see them make the save for the children that the commonwealth was holding hostage yeah but to see what happens after that's the little more crazier situation that's going on because we do see that 
Mercer is broken out of his jail, mm-hmm. and now everybody's lining up to go confront Pamela. Yep. Because whatever army is lasting from the Commonwealth is surrounding her home in the estates. So she's basically isolating herself off. She's seeing the zombies are climbing over the wall, and she's instructing everybody to start shooting. Meanwhile, there are people locked outside the Commonwealth. Yep. That are now like almost they're they're be, begging and pleading. They're begging and pleading to get in there. So it's kind of an interesting situation. But when Mercer shows up, this is kind of the tipping point that he's now c- converted over to the side of the survivors. Mm-hmm. And like I say, Michael James Shaw, who played Mercer, the loyal soldier to Pamela, did a great job with yeah. this episode too. Because like yeah. I say, he didn't get a lot of screen time, but he got enough that he made his presence felt. Because he was saying, "Okay, we're going to go in and definitely." make right what we did wrong. Because he did not agree with what Pamela was doing. No, absolutely not. But then you get the standoff coming because the zombie herd is still there. Because they did have the initial attack, but the bigger herd was coming. Oh, yeah. So we have to kind of give that emphasis that a lot of zombies were making their way towards the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. Small group got in. Some were climbing the wall, which they never really explained to. That was something that kind of did irritate me, that they now were adapting. Final two episodes, and all of a sudden the zombies are evolving. Right, so that made it a little more weirder than I was liking, but it was what it was. And then you see the people of the Commonwealth are locked out, and they're trying to get protection, and they're not getting it. So you have this Rocky Four moment mm-hmm. with Daryl and Ezekiel basically trying to plead their case. Yep. Like I say, it was it was more so Daryl, but I, Ezekiel was kind of Ezekiel was kind of running the show. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Like he was kind of rousing because they're basically like pleading, like, listen. You gotta let them in. Yeah. Why are you gonna let your people die? You know, like, hey, listen, we're better. You know, we're better than this. You know, you want to be like the old world. Well, this is what the old world did, and we don't. We're, we don't want to be like that. And blah blah blah. You know, it, like you said, it was Rocky Four. Yeah. So it's kind of a odd situation, but yeah, you you get the Rocky Four speech going on. Pamela more or less is going along with it, but then she kind of teases killing herself by going right up to the cage. And she's going to get bitten. Mm-hmm. And I did not realize who this was, but I had to do some uh, internet search, Pat. Yeah. It's a familiar face, but it wasn't her son. It was the ultimate scumbag himself, Lance Hornsby. Oh, uh, yeah. And she was ready to let Lance eat her because Lance obviously caused part of the revolution that was going on in the Commonwealth until he was killed off. And before he gets to take a bite out of Pamela, mm-hmm. an arrow shoots him in the head. Yep. And... Thus, Pamela is saved, so to speak, but she's immediately arrested. Well, she ain't getting off that easy. No, she's definitely not. So they're thinking this is going to be the the biggest case to do her way. So Mm -hmm. she's going to be locked away for the rest of her days, dot, dot, dot. Uh, And whatever's going to happen here, we now need to basically figure out a way to go, okay, we still have this monster zombie herd coming. What are we going to do? And I will say this is probably my favorite part of the episode Mm -hmm. because – this played right into the Walking Dead's playbook. Yeah. If they're going to kill off some zombies, they usually do it in some really cool ways. Yeah, they do. And, Pad, what do they do for this scene? Well, to attract everyone and get everybody, get all the walkers and zombies uh, kind of in a group together, uh, they hook up some speakers to the back of a cart or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they choose some music that is very familiar to uh, a specific group of fans. Yes. Uh, and, the, the, you know, they start playing the music and, and driving, quote-unquote, the music around. 
uh, to attract the zombies. And uh, Ken, what's the what's the song they decided to play? Cult of Personality by Living Color. Yeah. So I w- for a second I'm like CM Punk's coming out. I th- I thought the same thing. We know he's a fan of the show. He is. So like if they were gonna do something, this might have been a time. Like okay, I'm in for this, but it didn't happen. No. But you do see that they literally blow the ever loving crap. Yeah, they do. Out of the herd that's coming in there that they allowed to come in. Along with half of the town. Yeah, like it is just sheer chaos and it looked fantastic. So Greg Nicotero and company did an amazing yeah, job getting yeah. this all set up because it looked awesome. Even the CGI, which I know some people online were kind of saying looked a little cheesy. Listen, I don't care. Yeah, no, if, I mean, if you want to see, to my knowledge, what is the largest uh, filmed uh, uh, actual explosion in film slash TV history, look up the one they did for Spectre. Yeah. The Bond film, which that the, the explosion they did for that one, to my knowledge, is still the Guinness World Record holder for largest filmed explosion for a movie or TV show. Mm-hmm. This one would have been bigger than that. And just the logistics of pulling that off, don't think they would have been able to pull it off. Yeah, no, well, I know. Except I, for CGI. No, they had to do some CGI for this. And it looked awesome. It looked amazing. Yeah. So then we get to the aftermath of everything here. And then they go back to a plot hole that... I kind of had an idea they were going to go to, and that was Rosita. Uh-huh. And I liked this, and I didn't like this. Uh-huh. So, Pat, I want to ask, what was your feelings when you were seeing this? Confused at first. You know, it was the nice... It, it felt like I was. It felt like the Return of the King false endings. You yeah. know, where Return of the King arguably ends like four times before the credits actually roll. You know, but they, they go fade to white or whatever it is, come back in, and it's all of the survivors we know are sitting around the dinner table for Thanksgiving because, hey, here in America, Thanksgiving is this week, you know? So I'm like, oh, hey, they're having Thanksgiving. And then I looked at my watch and I went, hey, man, we got like five, ten minutes of this left. What the fuck is going on here? Yeah. You know, so I'm confused at first. And then once we started rolling along, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, because at this point, it's been revealed Rosita was bitten. Well, they they don't firm reveal it. She whispers, you know, she's got a look on her face. And Father Gabriel looks at her and basically goes, what's wrong? And then she leans in, whispers something to him. We don't hear it, but Judith is just is there. Here's this whole conversation and has just got the weirdest look on her face that I can only describe as what the fuck is going on in a mix of I know what you said without knowing what you said. Yeah. So it is revealed that she was bitten, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Yeah. And then she has a very, I don't want to say long-winded, but... I, I it felt, was drug out. I felt they drug it out, which I didn't like. Yeah. Which I was like, because it's nothing as the character Rosita, but when you're thinking season, series finale, there's other people that this could have happened to that mm-hmm. would have made more of an impact. Like it was Carol. Yeah. You know, or Daryl himself too. Yeah. Like if you wanted to go there, like Rosita has been around there, but unfortunately due to the big cast, right? she's almost been kind of forgotten about. Yeah. But you do see that she reveals to Eugene that she was bitten. They have a very touching heart-to-heart out. Well, and, and what is it? There's a whole bunch of the main characters there just kind of saying goodbye. Yeah. And they even bring in the kid so she can have one more moment with her kid before she goes. Yeah. Because she's obviously looking more pale and pale as it's going yeah. on. So yeah. you know that the zombie bite is now fully infecting. Which, I mean, it, it's kind of weird how over time, and I, I'm, just, I'm not even going to say this is reasons, but I think with the evolution of the zombies the infection is taking slower. Well, they've never been firm on, right. h- on how long it takes. Even even when season one, when they got bit, and they were, dr- I mean, Christ, I forget who it was because it's been so long since I've seen that first season, but there was the guy who got bit that they eventually left on the side of the road. 
Oh yeah, you way know, back when. Yeah, way back season that. one. But they were like they were driving for a while before they let him go. It wasn't exactly bite turn left him on the side of the road. So that's one thing. You know, I even with the comics, you and I know they've never been firm on how long it takes. Yeah. So I I didn't hang up too much about this. I was like, okay, we'll have the goodbye, and then as as she finally gets those last moments, mm-hmm. she's she's read her last rites, and then yep. somebody puts the knife to her head. Yep. So Rosita is killed off for this. Which we find out uh, on Talking Dead that it was the actress's idea to have this done. Yeah, which I... Th- is it, You know what? It's very... It's solid. Yeah. Because if you're going to do a, season, a series finale, make it feel special. Mm-hmm. And you know what? For her, I, I fully agree with it. Yeah. Because you know this is it. Yeah. And, and if you're going to be coming back, it'll be like on Tales of the Walking Dead. Like, you can always come back in the sure. anthology. Sure, Not everybody needs that so whole, There's a whole journey her and, uh, what was it, Abraham and, and Eugene made from. I love to see cause that. Because they started in Texas. In the comics, I don't know if they ever mentioned this in the show because it's been so long since I've seen their debut in the show. In the comics, though, I remember they very specifically said they started in Texas and made their way over to Georgia. Yeah. So there is a whole potential for some anthology series stuff. Well, I think they should. I mean, I know we were super critical about Tales of the Walking Dead, but this is a way they could redeem it. Sure. If they want to do some backstory, Oh, I'm sure Cudlitz would be down for it. Oh, I, I know he'd do it in a heartbeat. I think everybody involved would do it in a heartbeat. But I think that that's something they're going to have to look at, and especially if you really want that death of Rosita to really stand out and mean something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a big, impactful moment. Don't get me wrong, because yeah. that was because yeah. she has been with those survivors for so long. Yeah. But it really kind of took away from it a little bit. And then we kind of get to the situations I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I think the big thing is, and I understand why they did this, but I still don't like it. Okay. Huh? Is when you have the moment with Negan and Maggie, and will Maggie forgive Negan? Right. I was like, okay, it, it's it's a good scene. Don't get me wrong, but I think it was kind of predictable. Yeah. The, because the whole thing is Negan is now he's re- so tired and he's ready to move past it. Yeah, like he wants. He, he's tired of having to look over his shoulder, going, "All right, is she going to stab me in the fucking back?" Yeah, which. I think making him a redeemed character, I just didn't like. I just, for me, I, I always would have been happier if he was like a tweener there. I don't think he's necessarily redeemed, though. Well, if you know, if he's asking for the forgiveness, like he was broken at the end of the scene. Like he, you, you could see he finally wanted that forgiveness for mm-hmm. what he did to Glenn. Didn't get it, though. No, he didn't get it, which I liked. I really liked that because Maggie's like, I can't forgive you. You've ruined my life. Mm-hmm. I will move past it, but I will never forgive you. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, Lauren Cohen did a great job with the scene, but I'm like, see, that's why I think he's not a redeemed character. Is in in my eyes, to be a redeemed character, there's got to be some sort of resolution between the two where it's like, I forgive you. Well, see, like that's where I I, I think they're going to be going with the next show. Which that that's I don't think so. See, I hope not because I'm just going like we had the guy that was just the ultimate scumbag and such a charismatic villain, mm-hmm. and now you put him in the anti-hero status, and it's just like. I just don't like it, mm. but that's just my own personal thing. So I, I understand why they did the scene, but it's still a good scene. But I'm going, yeah. I just didn't like the whole like we're gonna get forgiveness later down the road. Like that's the only thing I, I just didn't like. And then we do a time jump mm-hmm. to a year ahead, mm-hmm. and Ezekiel and Mercer are now running the Commonwealth. Ezekiel is the governor, and Mercer is the lieutenant governor. Yep. So now everybody that survived is now looking for a future of tomorrow. Things are looking good. Things are looking good, and everybody's prospered, and everybody's moved on. And then you see that 
was it Maggie or Judith was like, it's time to, it's time to really move on. It's time to really do some things. I think it was, I think it was, uh, I think it was Maggie. I, I, I can't remember, but it was Maggie. Like it was just, but this kind of felt like weird, just out of place. Like after a year, like, okay, now it's time to move on. So you have Daryl. Now well, you think about it, they got to rebuild three fucking towns. True. But like, half, half of the common, half of the Commonwealth got blown the fucking hell. Hilltop got turned into a prison camp. And then Lakefront, you know, the Lake Town people or whatever it is, got wiped off the face of the fucking planet. Well, so you, I mean, you're not going to do that overnight. No, you're not going to do it overnight. But if you have this utopia, like you basically have a safe haven. Why would you want to leave? Like, I just I don't get it. Especially, it's, the, it's the memories. Well, it might be the memories. It's the memories of what happened because she's going to see the areas where, where her and Glenn were and get reminded. She's going to see the area where it happened and get reminded. You know, it's you want to avoid it as much as possible. See, I, for me, I would just sit there and go like, I could understand that point, but I was like, you actually have a safe haven. You don't have to go break into old convenience stores to go get food. And well, it and, also comes down to they've announced the spinoff show. We have to get her up there for yeah, a reason. No, I know. I know. I, I for get plot reasons. We got to get her up there. I get that. I get that point. But I was still like, as as a as a fan watching, logically, it makes no goddamn yes. sense. But from a plot perspective, of hey, there's a spinoff show where she's oh, in sure. where she's in New York City. She's got to leave. Yeah. No, I just it didn't make any damn sense for me watching. That was the, that's my point I'm trying to bring home. It's like today. Star Wars. Oh, Anakin stayed on Tatooine his entire life. So then how the hell did he end up over the moon of Endor fucking burned alive? Jar Jar stole his tickets. We all know this case. But nevertheless, you see that she now decides everybody's got to go prosper on and move on. So that sets up their move. Yep. You see Daryl is now going to go find Rick after a year. Although apparently he's going to go to Paris to try and do it. Yeah, I... Which, I, I, I'm, listen, folks, I'm not spoiling it. Every time they've been previewing that whole series... There's a big shot of the Eiffel Tower. The the, the logo's got Daryl Dixon in the in the in a silhouette of the Eiffel Tower in the background. He's going to Paris. We just talk about it as what, Pad? Reasons. Reasons. So, yeah, he gives his final goodbye, and then he gets to ride off into the sunset on his mo- motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Copying Supernatural a little bit. Just the camera shots. Yeah. Kind of, in my opinion, that's where there's a little copy. It's inspired by. It's inspired by, but yeah, like I say, so he takes off and he's just riding into the sunset as he goes. But we're not done there. We now have to go set up the Rick and Michonne show. Mm-hmm. And we get a shot of Michonne writing in a journal. Yep. And Rick is writing too. The only th- and the only thing we know is she is nowhere near Alexandria in the Commonwealth because there was a quick line where she said, you know, she was quote-unquote talking to judith but she's talking to the diary she's writing that she's well out of range of the walkie-talkies yeah so she's a ways away yeah she's definitely a ways away in a new armor type deal too something I, I think the thing from what i was reading in a couple articles a lot of this makes no sense now but it'll make sense once the rick and michonne spinoff series comes out yeah so he she's finding his messages he's leaving yep he's now on some island mm-hmm that belongs to the CRM. Yeah, or or it's near their, their turf. Yeah, so he leaves the message. So basically, she's tracing him down from the messages he's leaving. Yeah. And they pull up on a helicopter on him and basically say, like, you're coming with us. You're, you're here. We need you to save the world. Yeah, like, you have no option to come with us. And they always kind of harken back to his quote about, it, you know, we are the living. Mm-hmm. And that's how the show wraps up. So, like I say, a lot to be desired. A couple moves here and there that made some sense. The explosion scenes were great, but just for a series finale, I feel they just came up short. 
Yeah. I mean, what else can you really say about it, Pat? I mean, it's like I said, for a season finale, it was okay. You know, but in terms of a series finale, it wasn't necessarily as good. You know, for my series finales, I want them to go all out, guns blazing, go fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, big battle, big craziness. And there were certainly battles and there was certainly craziness, but it wasn't necessarily what I expected to be for that. And then, it, you know, it eventually turned into a sitcom finale where it's just, hey, we're going to sit around and reminisce about the past, which, yeah. which is fine. I, I understand that some of these characters aren't going to come back again. You know, but time and place. Exactly. I mean, the same thing about we how we had to really force, you know, everybody to leave to set up their shows, too, I thought was a bad look. It just didn't really make a lot of sense. And then I get it, but it's still, it, like, for being a serious finale, give closure to the story you're doing and then explain why everybody left in your own shows if people really are that invested. You don't have to force it down us. Like, we've been here for 11 seasons now. Give us that finale. Mm-hmm. And you didn't. But... Nevertheless, we are not done with the Walking Dead universe as we touch upon. Rick and Michonne will be coming out soon. From what I hear, late next year. Yep, Daryl Dixon is coming out. Yep. Summertime? Summer, yeah, that sounds about right. And the real flagship show is Fear the Walking Dead. And part one and part two. Yes. Yeah, so, A, B, sorry. Yeah, so part A comes out, I want to say February? Something. It's coming out super early. I, I saw a timeline someplace of when this is all coming out, but it wasn't from an official source, so grain of salt yeah so we're not done with the zombie universe just yet folks in the meantime though hit us up on the hashtag hashtag od page pod what is your thoughts about the walking dead finale and what's your thoughts about the show in general ending give us your favorite memories let's talk about it shall we we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back calling all movie buffs cinema lovers and film fanatics welcome to the silver screen savers podcast i'm michael gallup i'm matt sturdivant and I'm Tyler Sukas. And we're a show for movie fans by movie fans. Every week, you can catch us discussing the world of cinema, including dissection of films both new and old, our takes on what's to come, career retrospectives of the most prolific names in the business, and much, much more. Listen in via your favorite podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and more. You could also join the discussion and leave suggestions for future content by writing to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com, following us at screensaverspod on both Instagram and Twitter, as well as liking us on Facebook at Silver Screen Savers Podcasts. We'll see you at the cinema. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and there was some major Disney news that broke. Major in all caps. Yes, and if you're not familiar why this is major, Pat is going to break it down for you. So this story broke literally while we were in the middle of watching The Walking Dead on Sunday. So this broke between 9 and 10 o'clock on a Sunday. Bear that in mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reading from an article on thehollywoodreporter.com where the headline it reads, quote, Disney shocker, Bob Iger returning as CEO, Bob Chapek exits. And the article goes on to say, quote, in a stunning turn of events, the Walt Disney Company says that Bob Chapek will step down as CEO with Bob Iger returning to lead the company. Disney's board of directors announced the decision Sunday night, saying, quote, we thank Bob Chapek for his service to Disney over his long career, including navigating the company through the unprecedented, unprecedented challenges of the pandemic, said Susan Arnold, chairman of the board, in a statement. The board has concluded that as Disney embarks on an increasingly complex period of industry transformation, Bob Iger is uniquely suited to lead the company through this pivotal period. Close quote. Uh, Chapek had just signed a new multi-year contract in June 
after the ouster of TV chief Peter Rice earlier that month prompted the board to issue a notable public statement backing the CEO. Iger even acknowledged in an email to Disney employees Sunday that he is returning, quote, with an incredible sense of gratitude and humility, and I must admit a bit of amazement, close quote. While Iger will be remaining returning to his old role, the board also made it clear that he is that his new term will be a temporary one. Iger, quote, has agreed to serve as Disney's CEO for two years with a mandate from the board to set the strategic direction for renewed growth and to work closely with the board in developing a successor to lead the company at the completion of his term. Close quote. The board said the answer to the question, who will be Iger's successor, is surely sure to be a hotly debated Again, Mm -hmm. given that much of the prior decade saw a wave of executives speculated about as a possibility only to uh, exit or be passed over. Iger stepped aside as CEO in February 2020, handing the reins to Chapik, who previously led the company's theme theme parks and consumer products division. Iger continued to serve as executive chairman of the company, stepping down from that position just 11 months ago. Since that time, he found a part-time gig at a venture capital firm, Thrive Capital, as a partner and had been working on a follow-up book to his 2019 tome, Ride of a Lifetime. Of course, as Arnold noted in her statement, the novel coronavirus pandemic took its toll on the company, shutting its theme parks, cruise ships, and uh, stopping almost all film and TV productions. It also, however, turbocharged streaming growth, with Chapik leaning into streaming by reorganizing the company to focus on digital. Uh, But his tenure has also been rocky, marked with controversies and distractions from the aggressive campaign against Marvel star Scarlett Johansson that resulted in a settlement over pay for Black Widow to Disney's response, or lack thereof, to Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay Bill. Chapik has had to deal with a wide array of public misfires during his relatively brief tenure atop the company. Close quote. Uh, So a little bit shocking, especially considering the fact that like they said in the article, he literally signed. It was a three-year extension. Yeah, he just re-upped for three years back in June, and here we are on you know between nine and ten o'clock because it was before The Walking Dead was over on a Sunday that they decide to announce. Yeah, he's out. Bob Iger's back in. Uh, to use the term from Among Us, this is sus. Oh, it's a, it's extremely s- suspect. Like trying to put this in perspective. Mm-hmm. Bob Iger has built the monster that Disney is. He is responsible for them acquiring Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, most of 21st, uh, 20th Century Fox, not the entire brand of Fox, but, you know, a good portion of it. Mm-hmm. Launching Disney Plus. You know, he ran Disney from 2005 through 2020. You know, so he had a 15-year period that is one of the best short of being named Walt Disney himself. Yeah. He is a legend on the business side of things for entertainment, mm-hmm. not just Disney. Like, Bob Iger is the real deal. Let's say just run through the list of stuff they put out during that time. It's some of the best stuff Disney's done. Oh, by far. I mean, it's taken Disney from being just the amusement park place mm-hmm. into the global icon yeah. on all forms of media. And especially you think about... Acquiring the Star Wars universe. Sure. Acquiring Marvel. Yeah. And acquiring everything that forms into Disney Plus, which set such a high bar for streaming Mm -hmm. that 
it's arguably the best one out there right now, and yeah. everybody's been trying to copy it. In my opinion, that is the benchmark and legacy he's left. Yeah. So when he retired or left, you thought, okay, the ship would still write itself. So he's literally wrote his legacy. There's there's nothing left for him to do. Time to move on and somebody else to come in. Yeah. But to see how the former regime did not pick up the ball and go, and obviously it's it's a different time period with everything going on. Right, and, and, and obviously, he, you know, Chapik and his and his crew ran into some stuff Iger never had to deal with. But right. Fortune and fire. Yeah. But I think that this is a situation, too, where you touched upon with the misfires, especially with the Scarlett Johansson situation yeah. and, and other pol- uh, political rulings, if you yeah. will, in Florida. Yeah. You know, those nonsense things. This is a situation where the fact that everything was kind of adding up mm-hmm. is really telling that they decide to pull the trigger now and get rid of them and Iger steps back in. Yeah, so there, there's obviously a lot of speculation going on with why exactly he left. And reading from another article on uh, thehollywoodreporter.com where the headline reads, Bob Iger returns as hero and waiting to save a battered Disney. Uh, and then a, a couple paragraphs into the article, it says, quote, One industry source says the Disney board had been divided over keeping Chapik in place for the past several months. His performance on the most recent earnings call earlier this month, according to this account, was the deciding factor. While Chapik alluded to the need for cost savings during the call, it wasn't until later that week that he outlined dramatic plans to cut costs, including a hiring freeze and likely layoffs. Sources believe the deal to bring Iger back came together quickly in the past week. While many questions remain, it seems certain that Iger will unwind uh, unwind the reorganization that Chapik put in place, which effectively moved the power of the purse from Iger's creative executive team to Chapik's trusted lieutenant, Kareem Daniel. Uh, Board chairman Susan Arnold noted in in a statement that Iger is uh, greatly admired by Disney employees worldwide, uh, which will allow for a seamless transition of leadership, close quote. Uh, and obviously, the Hollywood Reporter reached out to both Iger and Chapik for comment, uh, but no, neither one of them gave a comment. Of course not. Yeah. No, Iger's going to come in and just basically reset everything. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the direction was not going in the place, like we touched upon. The Scarlett Johansson misfire, that was a very, very big public. Well, that was ugly. Ugly situation. Even more ugly was that bullshit in Florida. Yeah. I'm sorry, fuck that ruling yeah. in any which yeah. way, shape, or form. So... When you have those stances and those instances stand out, that's where I'm going with this, that's going to cause the eyebrows to get raised and go, what is going on here? So something else, though, I like I, if I'm speculating, like this all just built up and just finally Disney was like, yeah, well, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, like just everything just kind of came into play. Then if Iger kind of alluded to he would come back in and rewrite the ship, mm-hmm. you take that opportunity. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You take the legend to come back in and set it up and then whatever direction they want to go in mm-hmm. is going to be one that they have full faith in. Like that's the big thing. It's, it's, a, it's a proven commodity and it's a known commodity. Right. So you have to really kind of just say, okay, we're going to let him do his thing, yeah. set it up, get a proper successor in there that I guess all parties involved are going to be happy with, mm-hmm. and say, this is the blueprint, follow the bl- the blueprint, and go. And, like, why would you break it if it's not broken? Right. Well, and I guess this just kind of puts the bow on Chapik's career with Disney just because there's been rumblings behind the scenes of, of – issues and problems that have followed him for years and people kind of questioning why they would put him in charge and what have you. And, and we weren't behind that decision. So Lord knows what the yeah, hell, exactly what the hell actually, yeah, we, actually went on. Right. You know, but 
I like we said, Iger's a known commodity. You know, I think he'll be able to write the ship. This is huge for Disney. You know, and obviously it was huge for the stock. The stock because, uh, again, from another article on HollywoodReporter.com, uh, the article says, "quote Wall Street analysts and investors welcome Bob Iger back as the CEO of Walt Disney Company after Sunday's surprise news that the Hollywood conglomerate's former head would return to replace Bob Chapek." And experts have already started discussing possible strategic changes that he could usher in. Disney shares in pre-market trading on Monday were up 9.3% at $100.29 as of 7 a.m. Eastern Time. The stock had hit a 52-week low of $86.28 earlier this month. As of Friday's market close, it had fallen about 40% so far this year. Disney shares were up 9.3% at $100.35 as of 9.35 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday. And I know we were looking yesterday just Mm -hmm. as stuff was going on. It was up at one point at like $101 or something like that, that it had rose basically like $10 or $11. Oh, absolutely. Or something crazy. Well, you know he's going to do that with his track record. Like his, his pedigree instills that. It's confidence. That he's going to fix this. Look at what he's done before. Mm-hmm. The only question I guess people could have now is, can lightning strike twice? I fully think so. Right. You're talking about somebody that knows this business and built this monster up. It's not like it's changed that much since his time away. Right. And the only thing he's going to do is tweak a couple things here and there. Undo some stuff that was put in. Right. And arguably make it stronger so then he can go, okay, I'm gone this time. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Follow it. Yeah. Because the the blueprint is there. If you just follow the blueprint, you'll be fine. Exactly. I mean, I don't know what other territories he's going to go and and fix. I think Marvel is pretty safe. Marvel's safe. I think everybody's happy with what Feige's done. Yeah. Star Wars. Um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's the one thing. I, there have the, been rumors and rumblings about Star Wars and the head of Star Wars for years. Exactly. So I think. Well, even when I actually see it. Yeah, until something actually goes down. I mean, we can only kind of speculate what changes the, would happen. The only thing I think he might change is whoever's in charge over at Pixar. Just because Pixar, the last couple of years, you know, they've had they've had good movies. Don't get don't get me wrong. Right, but but the, they've had a bunch of them go straight to Disney Plus. Which which I get is to bolster Disney Plus, and they're trying to get stuff on um, Disney Plus. But theaters are open now. Mm-hmm. They're they're you know in any case of like oh theaters are only open in like three states here in the U.S. and four countries overseas. No, they're open all over the place. There's no excuse for it. That's the only thing I would think might happen is whatever's going on with Pixar, they might change heads over there. Yeah, which that would make some sense. And I think he's going to assess every single fandom, every single oh, yeah. property, and go okay, how do we make this better? And then we might see some sweet, some swift changes, depending on what it is. Pixar, I think you're right. I think, in my, in my opinion, I think they're going to make Pixar's falling off a little bit. Well, the thing... They, like I said, they put out good stuff, but it's just, from the quality it was a couple of years ago, it's not the case. Well, it's a situation where you're only as good as your last film. Right. And everybody's now copying what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's the one problem that you... But you have this in every single media. Right, yeah, yeah. When you're successful... Everybody tries coming at you in some way or form and implementing what they see you do. And the thing is, can you still stand out and be the original? Or are you going to let the, the I would say, I don't want to say clones, but mm-hmm. you'll, let's say your competition, rather, take what you do and make it better, and then do you bounce back and rebound? I mean, that's the one thing that you have to say constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Did Pixar do that? I mean, it's debatable. Yeah. I mean... I think they they stayed in their their safe lane. Yeah. 
But I think if you really want to compete with other animation studios doing a lot of work and really driving their stuff. Well, especially just Pixar revolutionized and kind of built, I guess you could say, um, you know, the whole 3D animated genre, Mm -hmm. you know, with with ironically Toy Story coming out, you know, however many years ago today, you know, so as we record. So they kind of built that, but now kind of DreamWorks is doing it and Illumination's doing it and all these other studios are doing the same sort of animation. So for its time, it was unique and groundbreaking and, and you were the only ones who doing it, but now everyone's got the recipe. Yep. You know, you got to do something with the flavoring to make yours stand out from the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting scenario moving forward. This timing is yeah. very suspect. Yeah, though. so Pixar, I, the Walt Disney Animation Studios, I imagine. The, I imagine whoever's running that will be fine. You know, Pixar, we'll see. I, I would imagine that might change. Lucasfilm, like I said, you know, I've heard so many times over the years that, that Kathleen Kennedy is going to be out in the next six months that if I were a betting man, I would have lost a lot of money by now if mm. I put any sort of money on it either way. You know... So we'll see with Lucasfilm, uh, Marvel, Feige ain't going nowhere. No, Feige's safe. Feige, Feige ain't going nowhere. I mean, I'm looking at the box office numbers for uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, it's currently sitting at, as we record, $552,166,978 worldwide. Yeah. It made as much as Bl- uh, Black Adam did in like a week. Yeah, no. They're fine. They're, Feige ain't going nowhere. Yeah, so I think the fan base can be breathing a little easier easier yeah and be excited for what's coming i mm-hmm. mean the thing is when he leaves this time after two years i arguably don't think he's gonna stay no i think that he's gonna get the unless shit. some shit we're going some shit goes on yeah unless he's like in the middle of some major project he's working on acquiring wb no i'm kidding <sighs> he pulls that off release the air cut no i'm kidding please don't could you just imagine that though Ugh. No, not the regular, not, not not the A or cut. No, but, I know not, which I don't want to see. Right, but if they somehow swung that, the regular uh, the regulars would never let it happen. Right, that's what I say. They they already had to go through hell getting the Fox deal done and get approved by every country's regulatory board for economics and finance or whatever. There's no way they'd get it through if they acquired WB. There's no way. It's it's fun to think of and it's fun to like speculate on. But just from a logistical and from like a, mon- a monopoly standpoint, there's no way. Yeah, there's no good. That that'd be like Microsoft trying to acquire Sony. They never let it happen because because Microsoft did have too much of it, and vice versa the other way. Sony acquiring Microsoft, the regulators would never let it happen because that's too much of one company having a control over the market. I still hold out hope for J- JL Avengers, the greatest comic movie. Of the I mean, listen, if they can make that crossover happen for comics, I'm all for it. If Iger pulls that off, he's it's done. You make a Justice League Avengers movie, it's done. I mean, there's a pot, there's a possibility seeing as who's running the DC movies these days. That's why I say, like, anything awesome. is possible right now. So if they have a business meeting and that comes out, it's done. It's a wrap. Like, you're never going to make a bigger comic movie than Justice League Avengers. Yeah. Not even a sequel will top it. Just no. I'm putting it out there no. right now. But this is still big news. Nevertheless, Bob Iger has returned. The King is back on the throne. And now it's the waiting game to see what happens with Disney. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about the big shakeup at Disney? Do you love it? Do you hate it? And why? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go? 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And I'll kick things off because there was an event that is going on with DC Comics that I definitely want to bring up to you, Pad. I want to bring up to our audience. Okay. This made some big rumblings, and I think that there's a lot to discuss from this. Okay. So reading the DC.com blog post, quote, DC Comics is embarking on a year-long storytelling initiative, Dawn of DC. Following the events of Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths and DC Universe Lazarus Planet, the world's superheroes have emerged with the biggest, from the biggest, most devastating battles of their lives and are reinvigorated in the fight against evil. Okay. With epic new storylines, over 20 exi- exciting new titles, superstar creative teams and villains that will push the heroes beyond their limits in bold adventures in this line-wide multi-event narrative initiative kicks off with January's Action Comics 1050. So some of the books that were announced definitely caught my eye in all the right reasons. So I'm kind of reading off some of the books that have been announced. So we do have the Unstoppable Doom Patrol, Dennis Culver and Chris Burnham. So this is coming out of Lazarus Planet. That's a big event that's happening. Like we say, if you haven't been following, there's a lot going on with this. So new Doom Patrol. We have a new Shazam coming out. Mark Wade, Dan Mora. Okay. And Billy Batson is returning. Oh, okay. So big things going on there. And if you haven't been reading Superman, Batman, World's Finest, oh, my God, one of the best books out right now, period. They have announced about a, a new Batman Brave and the Bold. Oh, okay. Tom King, Mitch Gerards, uh, Killen March, Gabriel Hardham, Dan Mora, Rob Williams, and more. And uh, there is obviously, when you're talking Brave and the Bold, there's a lot of different elements going on with this. So who knows what's going to be happening with this. Yeah. They're going to have not one but two Green Lantern books. Hmm. One is Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, uh, Marchio Tamika, mm-hmm. and an artist to be named later. Okay. And Green Lantern, John Stewart. Ooh, okay. So Philip Kennedy Johnson is writing it. Ooh. Artist, I have not seen anybody uh, tagged to the project yet. Okay. So huge news there. They're also going to be doing a Connor Kent book, Superboy, Man of Tomorrow. Hmm. So uh, Kenny Porter and Johe Lindsay are going to be doing this. And obviously, if you've been following what's going on with Connor Kent, this is going to be a book to watch. I really think they're going to be doing some cool things going on with this. They also have a uh, new project coming out with The Penguin Okay. that Tom King and Stefano Gardino are tagged to. And it's something that basically The Penguin is now forced to go back into the crime world. Oh, jeez. By the government. What? Like, it's some kind of wild-ass thing that's happening. That's weird. That Yeah, so he has to <laughs> not be redeemable his way. Mm, so, like, okay. it, it's 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 real crazy that's going on. There's a new book that's coming out with uh, John Henry Irons and Natasha Irons. Mm. So you're, that's going to be something uh, entitled Steelworks. So that's one to definitely keep an eye on. There's a new Green Arrow that's coming out with Joshua Williamson okay. and Sean Ezekiel. I apologize if I butchered the name. Uh, so that's obviously going to be surrounding the mystery that's going on with Oliver Queen because uh, he has not been uh, shown since hmm. Dark Crisis. Hmm. So definitely it's something to keep an eye on for. And there's a new Cyborg team that's coming out or book coming out. So this is just like the start of the tip of the iceberg for this. So 
with this being said, I know that we kind of say there's a lot going on with DC, and I'm showing Pad the art for Shazam because mm. it's Dan Mora and it's Shazam riding a dinosaur. That's interesting. Like how badass is that this? That does look cool. I'm sorry, Dan Mora is arguably the best artist in comics right now. It's not even close. Um, and there's a lot of great artists out there too, but Mora's work is just absolutely crazy. With this being said, and I know that we were at New York Comic Con, there's a lot of books that were coming out as well for the Superman line. If you are a DC Comics fan, is this giving you some signs of hope? Obviously, everything going on with Warner Brothers kind of you know makes you have a little pause for concern. But if you're seeing the the books relining up, what are you feeling about this? Eh, really? Eh, they're just shaking up the creative teams. That's all it is. Eh. See, I think for this, this is a good sign. Eh. Uh, yeah, I, know I, I I really don't care. Like, eh, they're just shaking up the creative teams on the books. Okay, and they're but they're putting they're they're putting on you know a, a wig and and some spark and some sparklers in their hands to announce it. Eh, see, they really it honestly does nothing for me. All right, well that's fair. That's an honest take. See, for me, I think there's a lot more coming on with this. I think the fact that you're getting a lot more investment, and this is not like a, a like, if, like if there's something coming from it, fucking tell me. Don't wait six months to a year to tell me. Because I'm, you're already losing my interest. Yeah, no, like I, I don't think there's anything new. I think they're just getting a focus back onto the books, like a focus back to doing superhero books. I know that kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but I think now with some of the stories they got coming out, this kind of reminds me of like when C.B. Sabalski took over Marvel mm-hmm. and, and took the shift back from yeah. being you know so much about the movies and and getting it back to the comics. Like DC has been one that they've always kind of puzzled around there, like okay, what's going on here? And, you know, are you really getting into the comics things or is this kind of shaken up and not not going in that direction? Mm-hmm. So I think this is a great sign for the fans of the books because right now there's so much flux going on. Yeah. And we've talked about this in the past, too, that for the comics line, they definitely need this to go on and they definitely need this to go in their favor, too. And obviously with these new books coming out, too, especially that Superman coming out. With Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell going, I think that one is going to be such a monster. It's not even funny. They are really catching my eye, and I think for comic fans that have kind of steered away from DC in recent months, this is going to be something to bring everybody back. Like I think there's a lot to be excited about with this. I believe Tom Taylor is also doing uh, a Titans book too. Interesting. So I haven't gotten like official confirmation on that. I've been trying to dig up like when and where, but listen, DC is kind of making a step forward with their stuff. I think it's the time to get excited if you're a fan. I think there's a lot of possibilities going on with this, and you definitely want to keep your eye out at the local comic shops about that moving forward. Because, you know, honestly, when you see DC is doing well, that just strives for more competition and draws out the best of the creators going on too. Because when you have that competition, that definitely makes a lot of things happen at the comic shops, and that's something that always helps the media moving forward. That said, at the comic shops, since we're going to segue there, uh, out via Comixology Originals this week. Ask for Mercy Season 4, The Circle of Time, number 2. So, obviously, this is a book that's got a very interesting buzz behind it. Richard Starkings and Abigail Jill Harding pick up uh, where they left off from the last issue. It's a very interesting story. Now, I know, Pat, you are not familiar with this. There's a lot nope. of sci-fi. There's a lot of fantasy going on with this. So there are a lot of elements that go on. I thought the issue was very solid since it is out today as we're recording. So I can talk about that a little bit. Uh, it goes in a lot of different directions, though. Ones that I was not expecting to see from the last issue. So it, it does jump a little bit. So you want to keep your eyes out for that. But they get down to the basic points of the story, and they definitely give you a lot to work with from this. So mm-hmm. definitely thought there was some cool stuff going on there. 
Also out this week, Bloodshot Unleashed, number three, Valiant Entertainment, doing big things, Dennis Camp and John Davis Hunt are really redefining Bloodshot. This issue has Exo Man of War in it, and we have to remember it's a mature reader's line, oh. so they're allowed a little more creative freedom to really get in there and go a little, I don't want to say go full crazy, but they get their chance to do a lot of stuff that you don't get a chance to really see. And I'm not saying that they don't get a chance to do this that often too, right? but I think when you start dealing with characters, when you put mature readers on it, some people get very jumpy. And are very like, I don't know if I want to read this. This might not be up my alley. This is something that I think they're doing some of the best bloodshot work they've ever done. So I definitely would recommend that this week. Also got a double shot from Boom Studios. Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. Now this is a book that's going to definitely be drawing some buzz happening. Jason Aaron is writing it. Now you know his work from Avengers, Thor. Yes. And Alexandre Tenefiki, I apologize if I butchered the name. This is a very, very interesting book. I can't talk about it right now because of spoiler embargoes, but I'm going to tell you this. It's very visually interesting. The artwork that you see in the previews right now definitely don't do enough justice to what's going on here. This is going to be one to definitely keep your eye on at the local comic shops this week. I think you're going to hear a lot of people talking about this. It's um, definitely going to go into a lot of cool directions. And I I wish I could talk more about it. I really do. But I know I can't get into spoilers right now. So please bear with me and please trust me on this. I think there's a lot of stuff that you're going to definitely like about this moving forward. And also from Boom Studios to Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 102 is coming out. We do know Melissa Flores and Simona de Guillaume Felice have been taken over, and the direction they're going with this first arc, out of this world. Definitely hitting the ground running, not wasting any time, setting the setting the bar and really raising it. Power Ranger fans are going to definitely have a lot to be excited about with this. So if you haven't picked it up for whatever reason, definitely make sure you swing on over to your local comic shops and go pick it up. There's a lot more recommendations out, so you definitely want to keep your eyes and ears out for that. And hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you're reading too. Because I always have people tell me after the fact, like, hey, are you checking this book out? Hey, are you checking that out? Hit me up early and let me know. Because if I can talk about it, I definitely will talk about it. Pad, take it away. Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, The first of which is uh, releasing today or tomorrow, uh, depending on when you listen to this, is the 4K uh, re-release of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, really? Which uh, I'm now learning contains the legendary 75 minutes of deleted scenes. Oh, my God. Uh, that has been rumored and whispered about for literal decades, uh, including one scene where John Candy smokes and eats a hot dog at the same time. <laughs> uh, there is all, and I'm reading off a series of tweets here. Uh, there is one where the tweet says, how have we lived in a world where John Candy didn't spend minutes talking about how psycho ruined the shower curtain industry? Facts. Uh, uh, and so that is releasing uh, on November 22nd. So it's either already out or will be out soon, uh, depending on your area. So definitely give that a check. Uh, some other movie news, uh, reading from an article on uh, Variety.com, uh, Avatar 2 is so expensive, it must become the fourth or fifth highest grossing film in history just to break even. What? Yeah, so the article goes on to say, how expensive is Avatar The Way of Water? Early reports have claimed the production budget alone was in the $250 million range, but director James Cameron isn't willing to give a hard number just yet. The only answer Cameron would give about the sequel's budget when asked by GQ magazine was the following, quote, very fucking expensive, close quote. 
Cameron apparently told Disney and 20th Century Studios executives that the sequel budget was so high it represented, quote, the worst business case in movie history, close quote. According to the director's estimates, you, quote, you have to be the third or fourth highest grossing film in history. That's your threshold. That's your break even, close quote. On the current chart of highest grossing movies worldwide, unadjusted for inflation, Cameron's original 2009 Avatar ranks as the top with $2.9 billion. Disney's Avatar Avengers, or excuse me, Disney's Avengers Endgame is in the second position with $2.7 million, while Cameron's Titanic remains in the third slot with $2.1 billion. Uh, that means, according to Cameron, that if Avatar The Way of Water wants to break even, it'll need to overtake either Star Wars The Force Awakens at $2.07 billion or Avengers Infinity War $2.05 billion in the fourth or fifth spot slots, respectively. Only five movies have ever crossed the $2 billion mark worldwide, unadjusted for inflation. While the pandemic has affected uh, other movie-going films like Spider-Man No Way Home, $1.9 billion, uh, and Top Gun Maverick, $1.4 billion, have managed to turn huge profits, so there's hope for The Way of Water. Uh, the original Avatar grossed $785 million domestically and sits at number four on the all-time U.S. box office chart, unadjusted for inflation. In the fifth slot is Top Gun Maverick with $716 million domestically. Uh, and of course, the movie does open in theaters December sixteenth. That is fucking wild. That's insane. Yeah, the fact that like the movie's not even out yet, and they're already saying, yeah, that's got to crack like top five all time to even break even, and and that's the benchmark for movies to be successful is like you at least got to break even. You want to see him make a profit, but you got to at least break even. Uh, something tells me if he's given the opportunity to make, because I know he's already written the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever the fuck it is, films. Something tells me that if they do get greenlit, they're going to tell them, hey, you got to come under budget of what you did last time because we're not doing that shit again. No, you can't. I mean, that's just foolish to mm-hmm. set the bar that high. Like, I'm sorry. The temp in the, is the temp in the room really getting to that point? I mean, for Fern Gully in space, for uh, Pocahontas in space? I'm not excited for it. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I'll be honest. I haven't heard that much buzz going on with it. If it will, like, like I've said before, if it came out within the first three, four years of when the original came out, I'd mm. be all, I'd be over the moon. I'd be like, oh yeah, hell yeah. But as more time has gone on, it's the highest grossing movie of all time that a lot of people don't remember. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it was visual for its time, but yeah, I don't think the magic's there. And mm-hmm. I, like I say, the I know we've had some people hit us up about, well, you know, it's going to be better than you think. The scripts here and there, so I know some people are excited about it. And like, listen, if you are great, yeah, I hope you are, yeah. But I don't know if it's going to do that kind of numbers. That's just no. insane. That's nuts. Speaking of movie budgets, uh, apparently the budget for the Fast and Furious Ten movie is fucking out of control. Jesus. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, "quote Just like the Fast and Furious movies themselves, the budget for the upcoming Fast X has uh, or Fast Ten." Uh, has reportedly gone off the rails. According to the rap, Fast 10's cost has grown to a jaw-dropping $340 million. Fuck out of here. Significantly higher than Fast 9's estimated $200 million budget. From the outside, it's not hard to see how Fast 10's budget got out of control. In addition to rising production costs and increased salaries for returning cast members, Fast 10 also includes a a couple of new high-profile names like Brie Larson and Jason Momoa. 
Then there's uh, the drama surrounding Fast 10's director situation. Longtime Fast uh, franchise director Justin Lin stepped down from the movie in April, reportedly due to a blow-up with star Vin Diesel. Replacing Lin was costing Universal up to $1 million per day to keep production in limbo. Universal also delayed Fast 10 one month from April 2023 to May. Uh, the Fast and Furious franchise has consistently been a cash cow for Universal, so it's likely Fast X will still turn a profit, even with its enormous price tag. 2021's Fast 9 uh, earned over $725 million at the worldwide box office, setting post-pandemic records at the same time. Close quote. Get out of here. Get out of here. I'm sorry. No. No way. Like, what the hell do you need that kind of budget for? I have no... Well, the time travel, because they're going to go back and find Vin Diesel way back when? Well, the fucking production costs of moving those cars around the planet. Well, Something tells me they ain't exactly showing up to a Ford dealership in you know Switzerland and going, yeah, we need one of your your cars for a movie. Oh, I'm sure, but at the same time, it's like, my God, man, like, how much money do you need for this? Like, <laughs> it's it's literally it's the Fast and Furious. Like, unless you're going go to go, you've already gone into space, so it's all, it's all the that. it's all the baby oil oh, for Tyrese. It's got to be Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Like, there's no way around that. Like, none. It's all the baby oil. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some television news, we found out who the new companion is going to be for the upcoming uh, season of Doctor Who. Oh. And no, I'm not talking about the David Tennant uh, little one-off. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, Millie Gibson is joining the cast of BBC's Doctor Who. Who? Uh, she will play Ruby Sunday, uh, the new companion of the Doctor, played by uh, Nakuti Gatwa. Gibson is best known for starring in British soap opera Coronation Street in the series' regular role of Kelly Nealon from 2019 to 2022. Her other screen credits include the ITV drama Butterfly and the BBC drama Love, Lies, and Records and the CBBC children's series Jamie Johnson. The BBC announced that Gatwa had been, has been cast as the 15th Doctor in May, making him the first black uh, black actor to anchor the long-running series, uh, though Joe Martin has played the Fugitive Doctor, a.k.a. Ruth Clayton, in a handful of episodes since 2020. Uh, so she's a relatively unknown and relative and fairly new actor. You go Like they mentioned in the article, you go to her IMDb page, she's got five listed acting credits. Uh, including Doctor Who. So there's the Coronation Street, Butterfly, Jamie Johnson, and then Love, Lies, and Records. Relatively unknown actor, but hey, unknown actors could prove to be a a great find. I'm just excited to see what they're going to do with Shooty and this whole new universe. So I think grabbing an unknown actor Mm-hmm. And and putting them in that role, I think it's great. I yeah. think I think there's a lot of upside to this, and I think that she'll knock it out of the park, being the companion to the Doctor, and mm-hmm. and whatever direction they're going to go with from there. Like I think yeah. there's a lot of upside there. Yeah, and then lastly, and certainly uh, not leastly, we have to take a moment and pay tribute to uh, Jason David Frank, who is of course best known for playing Tommy Oliver on the Power Rangers universe. Yeah, uh, debuted way back when in the original Power Rangers series uh, on October fifth, nineteen ninety three. In the five-part classic, and you can't tell me otherwise, mm-hmm. Green with Evil series, which was the introduction of the Green Power Ranger, who was evil, and and at this point the Rangers were it was the what was I think it was like it started with like the fifteenth episode of season one. You can find the original Power Ranger series on Netflix here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Might have to do some searching overseas. Not sure where it is overseas, uh, but it's like the yes, yeah, so it's the seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth, and twenty-first episodes. So by this point, it's been airing for a couple of months. They're fair or a couple of weeks it's fairly well established you know they're they're they got their formula for the show yeah and then in comes this green ranger who all of a sudden is taking these good guys who are like the best thing going they can do no wrong they can win every battle 
and they're getting their fucking ass kicked mm-hmm. by this ranger who eventually would turn around, see the light, come to the good side, and eventually go on to play uh, the Green Ranger and, and then also the White Ranger in the original series. He would be the Zeo, uh, Zeo Red Ranger and the Red Turbo Ranger and also the Black Dino Ranger. Uh, he would, of course, star in 124 episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, 50 episodes of Power Rangers Zeo, 19 episodes of Power Rangers Turbo, one episodes of Power Rangers Wild Force, 37 episodes of Power Rangers Dino Thunder, one episode of Power Rangers SPD, two episodes of uh, Power Rangers Super Mega Force, two episodes of Power Rangers Hyper Force, one episodes of uh, Super Nin- Power Rangers Super Ninja Steel, uh, one movie, which of course is the Power Rangers movie, uh, three web series, uh, two specials, and then one short film, one stage show, and then a graphic novel. So the man has been the Green Ranger and a lot of people's favorites. I remember being a kid and watching the series and and everybody on the playground was, you know, Power Rangers were the coolest thing, you know, unlike anything we'd seen to that point as kids on television. Right. And everybody wanted everybody wanted to be the Red Ranger because the Red Ranger was the leader. Everybody wanted to be the Red Ranger. Then the Green Ranger came along and all of a sudden everybody wanted to be the Green Ranger. There were fights over who wanted to be, who's going to be Tommy and who's going to be the Green Ranger. I mean, you want to talk about iconic intros. Uh, Green with Evil is certainly in that discussion, you know, and especially just iconic sounds. You know, you talk about the Jaws theme, the Indiana Jones theme, you know, and and other movie themes and, and the lightsaber sound effect, Darth Vader breathing. I would argue if you've seen even an episode of Power Rangers and you've heard you know, the Dragon Zord flute call or whatever it's mm-hmm. called, you you can hear the sound in your head without even having to think about it. Like, I can hear it in my head now just thinking about it. It's, it's such an iconic sound, and he was such an iconic guy, you know, and, and beloved by fans all over the world. So, so, so to his fans, friends, and family members, you know, our deepest condolences and thoughtful respects and, and well wishes, he's certainly going to be missed, you know, by the entire Power Rangers fan base. No, absolutely. Like this, this is devastating news to hear. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we grew up on Power Rangers. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm not as big. Well, you know what? I would say now that I'm reading the comics, I'm becoming more of a of a fan of the, sure. the franchise. Sure. And obviously, our good friend Tom Craven from Off the Cuff Gaming, he's always been a, a huge Power Ranger fan. Oh yeah. And when you you start talking about like big moments, and obviously the introduction of the Green Ranger really elevated that franchise. And, yeah. ar- and arguably took the show to levels it might not have gotten to. It might hell without the Green Ranger showing up and everything they did with that, you know, the show might and the franchise might not still be around. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And obviously, you know, with his Tommy's character going through becoming the White Ranger at one yeah. point and, yeah. and just going for the various fandoms, like he, the character is always standing the test of time. And and how Tommy is even in the comics nowadays too. Right, like, you know, he's he plays a big role. And you think about when we have seen him at New York Comic Con mm-hmm. and just how excited he was to see the fans and you hear all these amazing stories from fans mm-hmm. about him making the extra time to really, yeah. you know, connect with them and, and and just have those interactions. Like those are the moments that stand out. And and, and just how accessible he was just because yeah. if you've ever been to a Comic Con, there's obviously the one portion in wherever the con is taking place that does the photos. There's another one doing the autographs. 
And he would do photos and autographs, but not in the usual spot. Yeah. He'd always do it on the show floor at a booth someplace that was selling Power Rangers merchandise or something he set up set up himself. Yeah. So there was that kind of like one-on-one interaction with like, hey, let's talk. Let's take a picture. Let me sign your autograph. You can tell you can tell me a story about how much you love Power Rangers or how much you or how green was your favorite color because of me. You know, it was just that was just the awesome thing about him. Yeah, like I say, when you when you start hearing all the stories coming out about those, like man, that's just to see somebody that really gave that many people joy, mm-hmm. you know, and to hear about this tragedy is just like it, it just is devastating. I mean, like, just how much he meant to folks of all ages, and, and and you know, from from me to you to I know Johnny Gargano and WWE posted something about it. You know, Xavier Woods posted posted a thing about it because there was the one pay per view uh, ring gear he and Kofi wore where. One of them was wearing Green Ranger, the Green Ranger outfit, and then the other one was wearing the White Ranger outfit. Yeah. You know, just how much of an impact Tommy had on them. I mean, the artist Boss Logic, you know, posted on his social media stuff that, you know, he got into Power Rangers and his favorite color changed to green because of, of Tommy. Yeah. Like, it's just hearing the good stories. I mean, th- those are the memories we want to keep with him. And, you know, like I said, this is just a terrible tragedy. And to reiterate what Pat said, our deepest condolences yeah. to his family, friends, yeah. and fans all over the world. Like this is just—it's just devastating to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I always hate ending shows like this. Yeah, or, and obviously it's—it's it's been reported. You know what happened surrounding it. We're not going to say it, uh, but the uh, numbers for uh, the United States will be in the uh, show notes of this episode, and there will be a link to a Wikipedia article for overseas. Mm-hmm. Should you need assistance in any way, way, shape, or form, because there is no shame in calling and saying you need help for something. Absolutely not. There is no shame in it at all. So if you need to speak to somebody, please, please, please speak to somebody. Yeah. About it. And in the U.S., I know it's a simple. I know the number used to be long and complicated, and it still is. But it's been simplified in, I think, the last year or so where it's just 988. Right. You pick up any phone, you dial 988. That'll connect you to someone right then and there who you can talk to. Yeah. Man, I hate ending shows like this. I do, too. I really Kevin do. Kevin Conroy a couple weeks ago, and, and now uh, Jason David Frank. It's It sucks. Appreciate the time you have with everybody and appreciate the moments you're in, you know, because you, you just. You you never know. I mean, it's it's like the thing, you know, tomorrow's never guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely not. It's not. So, no. you, you know, you just have to take every day and just live it to the fullest and just use that as a motto to go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, one quick editor note. I did kind of mess up about the Tom Taylor. He's not writing a new Titans book. Uh, the Titans are going to be appearing in Nightwing 101. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I I thought for a second he was going to be writing a new book to okay. to go for it. But, no, as I'm digging through, the Titans are – there's going to be a new Team Titans team on there because, obviously, Nightwing, he's writing. So, maybe it'll roll out to something. Who knows? There's going to be a lot of stuff happening with the DC Universe moving forward. <sighs> well, we'll just keep it very short and sweet. For anything and everything, that is the ODPH, odphpodcast.com. That's all for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Happy Thanksgiving for everybody celebrating. We'll see you next time. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. 